It's the Steve McLaughlin Radio Hour. Thanks for joining me. Uh, as usual, I'm Steve McLaughlin, coming to you from the end of a, a very, very long soda straw. But maybe not long enough. It seems very natural. It seems natural to want more out of your life. Not just more life, but more... Um, more of what? More... Well, let me put it this way. What, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you if I say, uh, you should, why don't you get more out of your life? You know, why don't you, why don't you do more? Why don't you accomplish more? Be more? What would, you, what would that look like for you? Leave it vague. I think it's so natural to want more. It seems like a law of nature. It seems like uh, flowers grow toward the sun and people grow toward cash, right? Oops. That was my alarm telling me to wake up and do this very show. Uh, Yeah, it's early in the morning in New Jersey. Iowa caucus was last night in 2020, and it was uh, demoralizing. But anyhow, more. Get more out of your life. What would it mean to get more out of your life? And do you want more out of your life? So I have this... This idea has, has been stuck with me recently. Um, that it, it all... It seems kind of good, too good to be true. Look around you. I mean, I live in New Jersey. I don't know where you live, but but just look out your window and... Does it feel like you did enough work for all that? You know what I mean? Like, I got up yesterday and I wrote instructional computer science videos for a few hours. And and had dinner, watched... God, what did I do? I played... I think I played Rocket League for 30 minutes. Um, Listened to NPR for hours and hours and just kind of hung out, ate popcorn... Um, I had a few meals yesterday and I drank coffee and used all this electricity. I really feel like I didn't do enough work to earn those things. And I, I am admittedly a layabout. I mean, I, I kind of make a point of not, I, maybe that's my uh, consolation to myself, but I, I, I am okay with not doing that much work because it, it feels increasingly like work is, unethical, not work in general, but that kind of, that kind of deal, that kind of deal feels too good to be true, a a kind of, mm, a kind of uh, sanitized office life, information work, information work is beginning to feel, maybe, it's beginning to feel more possibly inherently uh, oppressive, (laughs) I'm getting more open to the idea that moving bits around, um, or at least I've made the decision not to work in the tech industry, really. And I think part of that for me is I'm afraid of the ways that I could screw things up. I mean, the, the, the whole culture seems so um, 
held together with scotch tape. Uh, and I don't want to disturb it too much. <laughs> I mean, I can... I've done a, a lot of web scraping work, and it, it's just, if you if you really spend some time looking at these systems, um, there nothing is really complete, and nothing is really quite secure. And you don't have to be some sort of, um, I don't know, dramatic television genius. You don't have to be some sort of um, uh, a prodigy or a real genius to to mess around with these systems and and uh, uh, and find find holes of one kind or another. It's not that hard, really. I'm talking really about just building data sets, just building, let's say, a table of real names and phone numbers, something like that, um, which these days in the days of robocalling can can fetch a lot of money. Um, so if I wanted to, I could truly do that all day long and really do that just exploit this resource, ex exploit all this stuff on the internet. And, uh, you know, like the, like some rancher moving into the, into the Amazon rainforest, or that's what it's feeling more like these days. If I were to make my life as a professional scraper and really doing nothing but making computers, talk to other computers, really kind of wasting cycles, that just is beginning, is beginning not to sit so well with me. Um, because I think I want less. Because I think I might want less, really. Uh, I do very much like, I mean, I appreciate all this electricity and all this heat, but I didn't really ask for it. I mean, I grew up in it and didn't question it. So that's, uh, that's something. God, that alarm is so incredibly obnoxious um speaking of less that's my uh that's not a identifiable iphone ringtone because I, I i'm doing with a little bit less that's a, my alcatel um maybe i shouldn't say the brand name but that's my flip phone which i bought new yesterday um, after quite some difficulty, but that's a different story. It's um, it's just dawning on me. So, look, I spend a lot of time, by choice, more or less, reading, just reading, just reading the internet and books and whatnot, and just really just reading the news and staring at, at Twitter quite a bit and just trying to get it, just trying to see, just trying to... Uh, you know, just take a long, deep look into that greasy mirror, uh, that greasy mirror we call life, what have you, to get a little biblical. Um, but it just doesn't seem to add up. It just, you look around at my culture in the U.S., in suburban New Jersey, and we're using way more stuff than we're, than we're making. And now, I mean, you, I can see you beginning to formulate because you've heard arguments. You know, you may listen to the Planet Money podcast from NPR, which is like, which has answers for all of this stuff. I mean, I'm, it, it's like a, it's like providing. Planet Money provides the kind of like debate club justifications that keep the wheels of global capital running, because it's like, 
Okay, so imagine you're uh, explaining the global financial system to a ten-year-old. Uh, they may ask a few questions. Well, you're gonna you're gonna immediately have answers to those questions. Like they're gonna ask silly questions, right? Just think about that. Um, they're gonna like an uninformed person, a fool, uh, someone who's not familiar with the with the way things are and the way they've always been, may have some valid concerns. But if you've been inside the system your entire life, you're you're ready with. Uh, justifications in your back pocket. You're ready with this, uh, with this rhetorical ammo, for anybody who comes along and uh, uh, and questions the basic foundation, foundational tenets of your system. Um, but I guess I'm, maybe I'm maybe I'm being way too vague and beating around the bush. And the thing that seems so crazy is like, okay, so here's how we've designed the global financial system, uh, uh, and the bit of production system. So people in China build all of our high technology stuff. And then we, we buy it from them, and we get to keep the technology, and we get to work few hour, fewer hours, getting paid more in, in more desirable jobs and living in working conditions. Um, I, I guess I, I can see how you get yourself into this situation. You know, from the point of view of Bill Clinton in the nineties. <laughs> You know, look, looking at expanding uh, uh, trade with Asia and whatnot, um, like it looks like such a tempting short-term prospect, like idea. They're willing to; these people on the other side of the world are willing to do this work for pennies on the dollar. Uh, you know, people in my own, <laughs> people in the in the in the U.S. or in the in the Western Europe in the Western world are used to high living standards, and and that that those standards have ratcheted up over time. The, the working conditions have improved and the or, you know, people have forcibly improved them. Um, but the whole, I mean, the whole, <laughs> the whole goal of, that, of, of improving our standard of living is, is, as I say, it's getting more out of life. It's getting, uh, it's clearing those obstacles. It's clearing those obstructions from you know, our path, right? The obstructions such as having to, well, on a basic human level, having to grow your own food, or slaughter your own meat. Um, these very unpleasant things. Uh, and so all that is kept isolated from us. I mean, I, look, I'm, I'm think I'm, I'm saying like obvious thing. I'm saying like college stoner sorts of observations, but like, <laughs> but, but, but right, right. Like th- there's just always a, 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 a a reason for how it got that way. Let's put it that way. I think pl- what Planet Money does is it ex- the, the Planet Money. Are you familiar with the Planet Money podcast? It's a. Uh, I think it's it was an offshoot of a This American Life project originally, but it's a series for NPR. That Planet Money exists as a podcast, which has had probably a thousand episodes at this point. Um, and then they'll they uh, they get slotted into Morning Edition, uh, and maybe uh, all things considered, as a sort of way to fill space if it's been a s- slow news day. Um, that's my impression of that's that's my summary of Planet Money. Um, but so what Planet Money does, I think, is they confuse. So you look at some some feature of the economy and you say, what's the what's the reason for this? Like, why is it this way? And then Planet Money, instead of <laughs> giving you an actual justification for what, instead of giving you a satisfying reason necess- like the, what planet money gives you is the story of how it got to be that way 
And then that's kind of put forward as being like, oh, well, I guess that's just, that makes sense now. Um, not, you know, does this, is this fundamentally, is this kind of structure we're talking about, uh, this kind of debt instrument that we're talking about in today's episode, does this actually serve the human condition? Does it make people's lives better other than the bankers who are, who, you know, who, who designed who designed the system. Um, and so it does feel, as, as time goes by, it does feel a little bit like, like I, I grew up, my whole, <laughs> I, I grew up feeling like a barnacle under New York City. I'm closer to Philadelphia, but I, but but New York is right there, and that really, of course, is the center of the cultural universe. And it's where I wanted to spend a lot of time once I was able to take the bus. <laughs> once, um Although I never did live in New York, but uh, probably for the best. New York was always a fun place for me. Anyhow, it's beginning to, like, when I look at New York now, I'm, I'm beginning to think, like, oh, oh, maybe, th- maybe that is, like, a fundamentally unfair, kind of uh, decadent, like, maybe it's not cool. Maybe, like, New York is like a, f- a feast on... I'm having a hard time phrasing this. It's beginning to feel more like New York is a siphon pump, pumping resources from other places, from other parts of the economy, from other parts of the country, um, from, <laughs> like it really be, it does, as you sort of watch the culture over time, it does, you, you, you see grievances from some, you know, farmer in Podunk, Nowheresville, complaining about the coastal elites and what, you know, and they're talking about the cushy life that we have over here, and, and we've gotten, you know, I, I came up watching The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and we look, we laugh at that, you know? Well, that's considered like a kind of... I don't know. <laughs> we're so used to this. We're so used to everything just being there in this urban environment. Um, and it being there for us, being there provided for us. And so you, I'm beginning to feel more... I'm beginning to feel like, like maybe New York is shafting everybody else and Philadelphia, and every, you know, and these big cities, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. It doesn't seem like this particular system is sustainable in which one part of the population so consistently uh, benefits at the expense of other parts of the population. Um, because I feel like I haven't done enough work for all this shit. But okay, let's make this a little more tangible. Think about think about just the bodily, how much power you can put out with your body if you were on a, an exercise bike. Uh how much power would that be? How many watts? Okay, here's a Wikipedia article that I, <laughs> I'm seeing a snippet of in my search results. Uh, during a bicycle race, an elite cyclist can produce close to 400 watts of mechanical power over an hour. Um, so how much? <laughs> 400 watts for a professional cyclist. How many watts could you produce on an exercise bike? Let's say a pretty efficient exercise bike. Not 400 watts, certainly. Uh, maybe 50 watts, right? I mean, over a sustained period. You're not in an elite international competition. Let's say you wanted to watch, let's say you wanted to, you know, watch a movie and and power 
everything yourself. Well, first of all, if you're watching the movie from Netflix, the, 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 you know you're cut off from a big part of it, which is the the servers that are that are serving up that uh, that data, and that's outside of your purview. You have no way to access that or measure it, um, or you know replace it with other power. You, you could run your TV using power from the sun or power from your legs, um, but not an option if you're if you're streaming. So that's one thing. So that, that, that part of the energy is not accessible. Uh, can't, can't be replaced if you're using Netflix. Okay, but let's say you're, you're running things locally and maybe even you're, you have some bunny ears and you're getting a broadcast, which again is energy that you're not... Uh, uh, you, you can't displace. Let's say a TV station is 20,000 watts, 10,000 watts. These are pretty, pretty powerful stations. Um, uh, that is... At least that, that's a fixed number shared among a bunch of people. Uh, my point is, you probably can't power your own TV. You, you probably just barely could power a TV for yourself to, to pick, up a, pick up a broadcast signal. Um, maybe run a, a computer to, to play the files you need off a USB drive. But it would be tough. I'm really to... to uh, let's see, to run the dishwasher in your house, for instance, or to run the, the laundry or dryer, those things run for um, a thousand watts for an hour at a time. So that is just not going to happen. That's not going to happen unless you really have a large team of people. Um, you know, what comes to mind is the episode of Black Mirror. Uh, it was in the first season, and it was the one where the, the whole culture was built around people riding on exercise bikes. And you would have a have a little cell, you'd have a little bedroom <laughs> um, in, the, in this story, and you basically it was a, the, the vision was one of constant advertising. So you'd be essentially charged currency for not watching an ad uh, during, the, during this entertainment, and, and people lived in a, in a enter, entertainment-soaked dystopia where they, they watched reality TV and pedaled on bikes all day long. But the crazy thing about that crazy thing about that setup is just like look around at all the electricity being wasted in that in that little enclave and I don't think that I maybe someone has uh, has done the math very carefully but I don't think that that balances out I don't think that all of those light lights and televisions and the production expenses and so on would even be I don't think that that riding on bikes comes even close to that I don't think it's even uh, not to mention that dealing with the the inefficiency involved in <laughs> in storing that power for any amount of time, uh, moving it di long distances, um, were just... <laughs> all of this stuff, all of this stuff around us is because we're cheating. Because humankind has consistently wanted more out of life, more spices more you know more sugar uh, and and we will do whatever it takes so if it takes more slaves that then we'll get more slaves we'll get that molasses get that rum going and so on and so forth uh, I think we may be nasty greedy creatures I think we may be humankind I think we may be like those uh, those uh, uh, wild swine that are <laughs> wreaking havoc in parts of the uh, parts of the Midwest right now uh, in, in coming even closer, I think they're I think they're getting into Pennsylvania. 
uh, and then these wild swine just are an ecological disaster because they just they just dig up everything. They'll dig up an entire potato field overnight um, and just turn everything over, and all that runoff will go into the streams and choke the ecosystem there. And once the <laughs> once the stream is choked, the plants die, and then there's no oxygen for the fish, and the entire system grinds to a halt. And the, the pigs, meanwhile, move on. The pigs are le- leaving a pigs are leading a, a slash-and-burn lifestyle. Much like the... I mean, much like the European settlers slashed and burned across this country, right? This is the American style of farming. You get a few acres of land, untouched land, forest land, you start a fire, right? This is what they were doing. Uh, in Massachusetts, in Virginia, you burn that piece of land to the ground, you take the the potash, use that as fertilizer, work the land for a few years, maybe two, three, four years, work it very hard, don't rotate your crops, just extract, just act like that siphon hose, pulling nutrients, just pulling resources out. Uh, Extract what's there and and when you're, and when it, when the land is no longer good for farming, you just move over one plot. If you have this much space, if you have that much slack, uh, that much rope left, then you just move one spot over, burn that area down, use the potash as fertilizer, start over again, slash burn, slash burn, and so that that was the world we lived in for a long time. And that that the, I mean, the humans were still such a small. F- fleck on the face of the earth that we could really act in outrageously irresponsible ways and then and, and not pay any consequences because there was such a vast natural world to absorb to absorb whatever kind of uh, whatever kind of damage we did um, but we wanted more out of life and we certainly wanted more humans we wanted more life and so we did, and now there's a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> but the real, what I was driving at is the, the, the ultimate cheat. I mean, the ultimate, really, the, the, the slavery of our day, the, the, the way that we've convinced ourselves, the way that we've convinced ourselves it's, it's normal to live is by burning fossil fuels. I mean, that's, that's where all this energy comes from. That's why, I mean, frankly, that's why I'm so... T- toasty warm right now. You can hear the heat in the background. And I have all these nice, you know, dimmed daylight LED spotlights up in my ceiling. I have a space heater in my daughter's bedroom. I have this mixer. I mean, all this stuff. And I didn't do that work. And nobody did. Nobody did the work, expended the energy to any part of it. Extract the resources. I'm looking at this mixer in front of me with, uh, with a little digital VU meter jumping up and down as I speak with yellow LEDs. I didn't do... I mean... resource extraction, let alone any of the rest of it. Materials, design, assembly, transportation. And the force multiplier is is oil. I mean, it's and natural gas and these various other 
and you can just add solar power to the mix um, because that's not <laughs> you, um, that's not infinitely self uh, supporting either because you still have to build solar panels and solar panels only last a few years man solar panel is only going to last you 10 years if it's in the sun all day long maybe it'll last longer I'm sure that the materials will improve. I'm sure there's a lot of variation. There are more durable ways to build these things. But it just, it seems like a, it just seems like such a shell game. Or a, yeah, so free trade, let's say, seems like a shell game. Because we get all this stuff, and they're doing much harder, they meaning the Chinese and, and uh, other people in so-called developing economies who are, you know, Malaysia, Bangladesh, I'm doing the work that we, that we, base our societies on and and you know and we're not paying them fairly in in kind um i think that that probably was more sustainable let's say in the 80s uh or before the internet came along so let's say the 90s as uh, bill clinton is in office um because the because there's less information flow um you know during the cold war people in the soviet union and, and the u.s could be living very different lives and not be too on a day-to-day basis necessarily too concerned with each other's because of that uh, lack of a flow of information. But now we see, you know, um, increasingly people in China and other parts of the world are looking at Americans on Instagram, seeing the way we live. And I don't really, I don't really know what that looks like to them. That's not a perspective I hear in the media in the U.S., but I know how I would feel. I know what I would feel. resentment and I know what I would do if I were thinking about the political you know horizon looking into the future um what I would want to right wrongs you know if I'm a political leader for um <laughs> I'm, I'm pointing to two completely different connected things I suppose force multipliers one, one of them is cheap labor in Asia one of them is uh is oil, which is just which is cheap energy, biological energy that was uh, that was uh, stored in those chemical bonds at at great expense um, and over a long period of time. And so I think I may want less. I think I may. This is the thing that's missing in the political discourse in the U.S. Is any place, any any voice whatsoever saying, let's dial it back. You know, not let's, <laughs> I mean, it seems so natural to see an article in the news celebrating a brand new land speed record from uh, out on the uh, salt flats in Utah. Somebody built some kind of rocket car. Somebody built a rocket car. Somebody built a rocket motorcycle. Then the, they've, they've taken it, <laughs> I don't know what the current record is, 900 miles an hour. Somebody's driven this car 900 miles an hour. And you see that in the news and it, you don't, you barely bat an eye, but, but if anything, you think, wow, that's incredible. That's an incredible feat of human engineering. But why? I mean, why is it so natural? It feels natural to want to do that kind of thing. It feels like I appreciate why if <laughs> I appreciate why you would want to do that. You incrementally go further and further and further. You want to beat other people. You know, I get I get I can get my head around that. 
I can get my head around why people murder other people too. I mean, right? You can under you, it, just because you can understand a point of view doesn't mean <laughs> that it's good or defensible or, or natural or anything else. But the, there is no voice whatsoever in the, that I can see in the American media that's saying, "Well, okay, maybe we should." <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but maybe we should not only dr- drive less or. Uh, you know, use less plastic. All those things are very nice. Like to, I would like to, you know, decrease my carbon footprint in those ways. Use less, put less plastic into the ocean. Th- those things are good. Th- those things are have broken through to the mainstream in the media, if not in our actual day-to-day lives. But what's missing is someone who, in the, in in the New York Times or, or on NPR, saying, maybe we should aim to shrink the economy six percent next year. Maybe we should aim to put the brakes on and uh, and slow just kind of ease this thing slow this (laughs) this bus down a little bit and I know that those ideas are out there and you can find academic works calling for um, for the end of industrial civilization starting yesterday you can find those things but it's those people might as well be flat earthers. I mean, that's so far outside of what is conceivable. And so I don't know what to do. I don't know. I feel that it's such an impasse. Everyone wants more out of their life. And everyone... And this becomes even further complicated when you have historically aggrieved communities. And like, let's say that... I'm not a descendant of slaves. I'm not. But... Um, if I were, I would probably feel like owed something. Like, I would probably feel like, well, you know, the system has been holding me and my family down for a long time. I want to get mine. You know, and the and the consequences of that may be... The ethical consequences of that may be um, not convenient, and, and so, you know, not something that I'm going to... I'm going to I'm gonna pro- probably stay away from imagining the mind of a minority. That's, that's not maybe necessarily a good look, but... I th- maybe I'm maybe I'm getting at what I'm saying. There's a lot of people who have a lot of reasons not to not to trust the idea of acting in the interest of society, or you know, not to trust somebody like me, a, a privileged white guy, uh, when I say like, now we must use, now we must drive less, now we must curb our creature comforts, because <laughs> because a lot of people have been have been gorging at this trough you know for the last couple of centuries but certainly let's say since then you know in the post-world war ii period um god yeah certain people have been have extracted so much and had so much just so much pleasure just so much uh so many cool experiences these rich people have. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, and so it's not easy to make the pitch that we should cut back. It's almost, it almost seems like a non-starter. It seems like a law of nature, at least in U.S. politics, that you can't, you can't run on a, you can't, want to shrink the economy. It's not even sayable. It's not, it's so far outside of that, that Overton window. Um, 
Uh, and I don't, it's like, it's, I'm in despair because it, because the world is getting hotter and, and the only way to improve things even marginally is to stop dumping so much carbon into the atmosphere. And yet, how, what, how, and yet how, I mean, everyone wants more out of life. Everyone wants a car and I have a car. My wife and I have two cars. It sucks to not have a car when your society is not built around when you don't, it sucks not to have a car if you don't have daycare in your neighborhood. So now, okay, we talk about a post-carbon future. Now we're, 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 it's a much bigger task than simply halting, than simply uh, 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 using less uh, natural gas and, and uh, oil. And for that matter, here's another important part of it. If we did simply, let's say we cut every individual's electricity budget in half, well, the people in the cities are going to be affected a lot less severely than people, um, than people, than people further out in the in the suburbs or in rural areas, or not, let's let's say not electricity, but a carbon budget. Let's say so if if we took away everyone's cars, let's put it that way. If, we, if the government reclaimed every privately owned car, mm-hmm. well, people in the suburbs would be immediately screwed, unless. <laughs> unless you think about this stuff and and plan out a large social reorganization um and golly re- planning a large social reorganization certainly seems like a difficult if not impossible so so <laughs> what can you do but i do i think i want less and I'm not really sure what that means even yet. I'm not really sure what that means even. Does it mean letting more people live in my house with me? Because that, once you start looking at any of these details, um, they don't sound so great. You know, it, if the square footage of my house is, is, not, uh, is, is wasteful, then do I want to live with another couple and their kid, let's say, just for instance? I'm not sure I do. Maybe I should have bought a smaller house. I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> my electricity. I mean, I run my computers and servers. <sighs> a bigger computer is going to take 100 watts, and that's just what it is. And when you run a server, you get used to having it running 24 hours a day. So it's just like become something you write off in your in your monthly energy budget. And it's so cheap because we're cheating and burning this oil. And so the answer seems so obviously to be that you raise the price. You raise the price of oil. You raise the price of labor in China in some way or another. And yet... And yet you can't, you push that through. As soon as you get legislation like that through and people are feeling it in their pocketbooks, then you will immediately be voted out of office. It's like a cruel, it's like a joke. It's like a, it's like a perpetual motion machine, really. It's like a capitalistic slash and burn, uh, I, you know, a, a, a flywheel. It can't be stopped. It's, it can't be stopped unless we want less. And I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing anybody evangelizing for less right now. 
in the in the 90s there was a moment in the 90s when you would see that moment that uh, let's say reverend billy came out of and uh adbusters uh, i'm referring to uh, reverend billy in the church of by nothing is that right i i th- this was not i was a little young when all this was kind of <laughs> really cooking you know I, I was too young to be aware of the wto protests uh in seattle for instance but but there was a cultural current that was anti-corporate, anti-consumerist. And it was pretty mainstream. I mean, Adbusters got very wide distribution, you know. Um, at the time, I try to explain explain this to young people, but which is, it seems almost unfathomable. In, in the 90s, you know, Nike was considered uh, not cool. Like, Nike was considered exploitative. I mean, Nike was like they got criticism for for you know using sweatshop labor to to assemble their shoes. Um, I think that they they did some window dressing and improved the uh, the, the working conditions. They they addressed that in some way, but the but the the greater issue remained. And the, but the public was so was completely um, you know the public moved on to other things essentially. Uh, Nike resuscitated its image so. Uh, successfully i want to say masterfully but it's i i don't want to give them any credit because i think it's a i, I just i hated nike in the 90s and i i hate nike today I, um and I, I hate nike not because they make bad shoes but because they encourage a culture of you know it's endless mindless consumerism slash and burn uh, consumerism, and they encourage Nike, Reebok, these other sneaker companies, and encourage having a walk-in closet with fifteen hundred pairs of shoes. I mean, that is the goal, right, of a lot of sneaker freaks and a lot of nice people. And I know people who are deep into sneakers, and and I get it because I have hobbies too. But it doesn't mean I have to like it. And so I want to. <laughs> I want to I want to sort of preach less. I I sort of want to get less out of life. And of course the I mean the flip side is that I I am a I'm a hippie like I I don't think I think you can get more out of your life with less technology. And I like I appreciate I like singing and telling stories and poetry. I I like writing and reading and these these are relatively low carbon types of things. I like having coffee with people. These are all, you know, very low carbon uh, ways to spend your time. Actually, coffee maybe not not so much, but but you get my my drift. Uh, and I'm not perfect. I mentioned earlier that I played Rocket League for half an hour last night, and that's just like it's just you know it's a little reliable source of dopamine. It's so satisfying when you. Rocket League is a video game. I have the version for Nintendo Switch, in which you're a little car, and you're driving around, hitting a soccer ball, in a in an arena. And there are rockets and things involved. You can, it's a complicated game. You can jump your car up into the air, and and uh, it's like a perfect game. It's a it's a highly developed version of Pong. Really, you have two goals. You have little paddles that you're driving around. You push the ball back and forth. 
And so, you know, and so I'm still participating in, in, in online gaming, which is incredibly wasteful. seems like a really imprudent use of electricity and also the, all the creativity and ingenuity and ingenuity that goes into designing the games and designing the hardware and marketing and just that whole, I just does, it's beginning to seem less worth it to me. It's beginning to seem like, why not be satisfied with Pong if you must play an electronic game? Or, or why not be satisfied with a video game that isn't networked? I mean, yes, it's more fun to play online video games with other strangers in other places. It is. It is more fun. But why do we need more? And the thing that you... This will probably sound familiar. The thing is, you um, you you adjust. I mean, if you've ever been, have you have you ever taken a vacation in a place where cell phone service is not happening? I mean, even for an afternoon, being in a place where where cell phone service is not available, you can't you can't quickly Google um, power output from a stationary bicycle. <laughs> uh, just at the drop of a hat, and you, you can't Shazam um, songs. That's my other great network indulgence is Shazam. I use Shazam constantly to identify songs on the radio because I can, because I want, because I want more, because I want more knowledge and more music and more experiences and more friends. And more power. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So I, I just don't know. I don't, I feel like I'm at a real impasse. I almost can see the work that needs to be done. I can see the cultural reshaping, the kind of really preaching that needs to happen to get people on board, to change people's minds, because we won't be able to change our society democratically unless we unless we change people's minds first in a deep, profound way. Because using a hydro flask, you know, being that level of woke where you're avoiding plastic, that's okay, but it's not even close. It's not even close to being anywhere close to enough. I mean, I'm talking about why not cancel all high school sports and take those, those baseball diamonds and football fields and plant trees in that land. How's that proposal? <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? That sounds so offensive. And I, I didn't play sports, so it's easy for me to say that. And lots of people did play sports, and those, those kinds of facilities are very meaningful. So who makes these decisions? I mean, it's like, makes you, it's just so hard. It's just so, it, it, I mean, I can see why so many people are in a place of despair, politically, one way or another. Because we need to use less, and we need to, for that happens, we need to want less. And for that to happen, we need to, you know, change something fundamental about ourselves. Because everyone wants more out of life. It's so, it's so incredibly natural. Why would you not, why would you want less? So, so I don't know. So think about this today maybe or, or 
or maybe you can, maybe you have suggestions. Um, you can always find me on Twitter at, at Steve McLaugh. Uh, my name minus the, the last three letters. Um, and you can probably tell that I don't, that I'm not, that I, that I didn't, didn't have a, I wasn't able to wrap this up into a satisfying bow with a, you know, I'm not able to end this discussion with like, here are the five things you can do to save the planet because I don't think that's happening. But I just, I just, <laughs> I, I want people to want less and I don't know how to, how to square that. So the day's beginning. Uh, it's still dark. It's still dark here in South Jersey in the early morning. Um, <clears throat> I missed recording yesterday, and I think I woke up a little too late, and I, I, I sat down. I thought I might start recording at 9 a.m., um, but I couldn't do it. I think this show may require... I think this show may require me to be half in a dream state, this kind of show. I really wake up and get some coffee and I do this and and uh and it's been natural so far so I, I do appreciate you being with me uh hanging in for for a for a longer show with me today and uh thank you so much I've been Steve McLaughlin and uh yeah this has been the Steve McLaughlin Radio Hour later <laughs>